Christ is risen from the dead, trampling down death by death and upon those in the tombs, bestowing life. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling down death by death and upon those in the tombs, bestowing life. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling down death by death and upon those in the tombs, bestowing life. Brethren Christ, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. indeed. This is Timothy Flanders at the Meaning of Catholic. Welcome to Our Lady Victory, your Monday morning man show. Together with co-host Nicholas Cavazos. Cavazos, how you doing, brother? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. And Cavazos was involved in a, a rip-roaring rad trad jamboree this past, uh, that's how they do it in Texas, apparently. Tell us about that uh, last last weekend, Cavazos. Yeah, we had uh, two days of protests against a, uh, a satanic-themed drag queen event that was taking place in a small local town of ours. And uh, it was very wonderful. We had uh, on Friday, first Friday, uh, a penitential procession in honor of the Sacred Heart and in reparation to the Sacred Heart. And it was very nice. We had a speech that was um, delivered to us and that was written by His Excellency Bishop Athanasius Schneider. And it was short, sweet, and honestly, we didn't even look at it until <laughs> like the moment we were about to march because we wanted to kind of build up the suspense and momentum. And it was just an absolutely amazing speech. I felt like I was reading. I honestly felt like I was hearing something that like an archbishop would have delivered like a company of crusaders as they're about to go to war. Like it, it was just amazing. You'll, you'll, you guys will hear about it fairly soon, the, the actual details of the speech. Then we marched uh, yeah, to the middle of the town and we're praying our rosaries, had flags, had signs. There were so many people that were supportive of us that as we were walking down the sidewalk, we actually had people come out of their businesses to watch us. And some people came up to me and they were just like shaking my hand, thank, like thanking us for what we were doing. And then the second day was uh, the day of the event itself, of the, of the drag queen event itself. And it ended up turning out over 300 people from various groups, some from conservative groups, some Protestant groups, and then some Catholics. And so a very large contingent of people directly outside of the uh, church, if you will, that is hosting the drag queen event. So it was very, very good. And uh, we have more more events planned in the future. In June, the month of the Sacred Heart, there's going to be three days back to back where a good coalition of us are going to be having to do work to fend off this type of tirade in the middle of central Texas. But God is good. He protected all of us and uh, we got the message out. This is fantastic. So you, so you have more events planned for June, the month mm -hmm. of the Sacred Heart. Um, can you tell us some of the logistics that you had to go through with working this out? And this came from a number of different trad parishes in the area, correct? So it was trad parishes, but even um, some non-trad parishes. So logistically, we found out about this, I'd say, maybe back in early May or so. I think it was announced. And uh, it was just on social media. And, you know, the good thing about social media is that you're, you're able to share it to a large swath of people. So what we did was is we decided, okay, you know, it's one thing. You know, it's not good wherever these events take place, but it's one thing if it's taking place in, you know, the Socialist Republic of Austin, as we call it, or if it's taking place in one of our small towns where we all live. And so we ended up going ahead and sharing it to larger, um, not just parishes, but also to just larger social media networks of conservative groups in Texas. So, for instance, there's a lot of groups of parents 
that are standing up and kind of uniting into these grassroots groups to go and fight these things. So sharing it with people like that really helped draw people from a long way away because we had people from Houston. We had people from Dallas. Right. Just to give you guys an idea, because Texas is, you know, bigger than France. Um, <laughs> that's like a five five hour drive, you know, for some people, four and a half hour drive for some people. And then us locally, we had people from the Society of St. Pius X Chapel. We had people from the diocesan Latin Mass that showed up from uh, three diocesan Latin Masses that showed up. And then we had people from just the the local diocesan parish in town show up that they were thankful. So it was great. And so and then later this June, there is going to be uh, in the same town, the Episcopalian quote unquote church is going to be holding an openly interfaith themed drag show um and so they're inviting all the liberal denominations and even uh liberal groups of various religions to come to the town uh to worship and celebrate the lgbtq plus ai community and so we'll and they'll be doing it on june the 8th so we'll be out there um protesting that as well as after that point on the 9th and 10th the city itself will be hosting, I guess, their version of the parade at the uh, larger fairgrounds. And so there's around 50 of us that are going to be dedicated to going out and just standing on the sidewalk and holding banners like Christ is King and, you know, trying to remind America of our past and the potential glorious future that we could have if we were to turn to the social kingship of Christ. Fantastic. Well, this is uh, perfect to our topic that you're going to present today, how to evangelize an anti-Christian nation. In other words, fighting against the Antichrist in your uh, in your local neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll talk about that today. Uh, first of all, I want to remind everyone that uh, Meaning of Catholic is a lay apostolate and we're supported by the Guild. The Guild supports other, we, we support each other and we also uh, support the lay apostolate. We had a really great prayer um answer to prayer last week uh, as as we were doing the show me and Cavazos on Monday morning on the feast of St. Joseph uh, the number of us had consecrated ourselves to St. Joseph on behalf of Jared Maynard who is the husband of our one of our apostolate leaders who had been on life support for over five weeks and been in the hospital for three months uh, and we were consecrating ourselves and offering that up for two St. Joseph to raise up raise up Jared Maynard and he actually he, he made it back home from the hospital on the Feast of St. Joseph. I didn't even know that at the time when I appealed for prayers uh, and, and finances for them on Monday morning last week. But it was a clear, clear intervention of St. Joseph. So that was a, a glorious answer to prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can join the Guild. The Guild supports Meaning of Catholic, supports the Flanders family income, as well as others. And that's at meaningofcatholic.com slash register. And if you join the guild, you get access to all the most spicy content. Last week, we covered this very spicy topic, the annulment crisis and the trad critique of Hildebrand. That is a very, very pressing topic. Uh, it it affic- afflicts many homes, unfortunately. And But this is a, it's really quite remarkable that this is a huge issue that no one's talking about is the annulment crisis. You know, obviously, we talk about the month of June and the, the, the horror of all of the things that are promoted in the month of June. But the problem is that marriage was actually destroyed by heterosexuals long before this even became a huge issue. And so this is this is I would I would claim even an even more pressing issue that no one's talking about, unfortunately. But 
That's part of a larger spicy crisis or spicy series called St. John Paul II and St. Marcel the Moderate question mark. And it's talking about Marcel Lefebvre and trying to and, and also John Paul II and trying to present the most balanced picture of both men, because both of these men are can be can be the uh, this both sides of extremes. It can be either, you know, this person is a saint and never made any problem, many any errors whatsoever, or this person is this demon apostate, whatever. And I, I seem to see both extremes on on either, either of these figures, depending on where you're at, what what kind of party you ascribe to. So uh, we've already handled Saint Marcel the Moderate, Doctor of the Priesthood? Question mark. We've also handled handled the errors of Lefebvre, tried to see any weaknesses in him. And now we're going to deal with Carol Wojtyla. And this is up to 1978. So, so far the series has uh, 10 parts in, or it has nine parts planned right now, but that's only up to 1978. And after that, we will delve into the whole post-1978 after John Paul II is elected Pope. So these are all the this is part of the, the guild stream that you have access to if you're a guild member, meaningofcatholic.com slash register. All right. With that out of the way, let's talk about what's going on this week. We have the fourth Sunday after Easter where Christ is preparing us all for the, his ascension to glory in heaven. And I'm excited for uh, next week. We'll have a special St. Joseph Dialogo show on the theology of the ascension. The theology of the ascension, which is much neglected. But this week, we do have the uh, St. Phyllis and James. I believe that's transferred from originally May 1st, if I recall. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're pre-55, you got, but you got to do the St. Joseph of the Workers. So we've got some nice martyrs this week. And next week, prepare yourself for the Rogation Days. Uh -huh. Rogation Days are coming. I, I, I worked on our family garden this past weekend, so we're really excited to plant and then do the Rogation, do our little Rogation procession. Uh, one thing I, I learned about uh, last year, Cavazos, is the, a wonderful tradition where you take the, the Palm Sunday branches that are blessed against the demons, especially in the pre-55, right, again? Uh, you, you take the – what we did uh, with the kids is that we take the Palm Sunday branches and then we make crosses out of the Palm Sunday branches. And we, we didn't do the weaving because that's too difficult for young children. So we just glued them together and painted them and made them all nice. And then you go, you process around the four corners of your property and bury them at all the four corners mm. as a sacramental. So we have our um, little procession and we sing songs. And so that's what we'll be doing on Rogation Monday next week. So prepare yourself, everyone, for Rogation Tide coming soon. So, Cavazos, let's get into our topic. How to yeah. evangelize an anti-Christian nation. Yeah, that's it's a big subject, and it honestly could be treated in a massive book. I personally, I don't know, just one thought I have off the top of my head before I dive in. When it comes to your, uh, your series that you're going through, St. Marcel the Moderate and St. John Paul II, you should just write a book about it. That just sounds like a good book idea, so... I feel like you could make some interesting money and uh, ruffle some feathers. <laughs> that would be with. quite a book, I guess. Uh, I, that, <laughs> yeah, part of it is is I put the most spicy things in writing in my book because mm -hmm. tons of tons of this spice is in in this in the city of God versus city of man book, which I I don't really say publicly as much because it, it's just unfortunate. The internet is like you can't you can't like get into these controversial topics because just the internet's terrible like that you know 
No, but, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, a book, a book would be God willing. We'll we'll see about that. Yeah, I think it'd be pretty cool because it wouldn't it would not surprise me. Let's just put it this way. It would not surprise me if hypothetically in the future at some future church council where we're having just to hash out all the problems of the early 21st century that <laughs> the churches would just be like, you know what? That's it. We're canonizing Archbishop Lefebvre and we're taking both of them and making their feast day the same day. Just <laughs> like like St. Peter Paul or something. Oh, you know, there's there's a. Have you ever heard of the story of the three holy hierarchs in the East? No, I don't think it's so. It's a very interesting story. And it's very apropos to exactly what you just said. So there's there's the three holy hierarchs that are venerated in the East, namely St. John Chrysostom, St. Basil the Great, and St. Gregory Nazianzen. Uh, in fact, one of those is on our Roman calendar this week. Uh-huh. But um, there's this story, and I can't remember. Hmm, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm thinking, I'll look it up. I think it's like 1100s, but there was this controversy in Constantinople where everyone would say, just, just as St. Paul says, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Christ. And that exact thing was happening in Constantinople. And they were saying, well, I'm, I'm a Chrysostomite. I'm a, I am a Basilite. I'm a Nancy. And they're, you know, Greg, Nazianzen's the best. Chrysostom's the best. And they're all fighting. And then, then the, all three of them appeared and said, this is insane. Uh, we're going to start a, I want you to start a feast day of all three of us. The three holy hierarchs and then there's now there's a feast day called the three holy hierarchs in the east that was in direct opposition to this very thing and i think mm-hmm. that there's a similar thing that happens with our feast days there's multiple feast days of peter and paul in the west mm-hmm. um because there's not only june 29 but there's also um the octave of christian unity which is actually reparation and asking all the non-catholics to become uh catholic mm-hmm. but um in the office in the Roman office, anytime there's a Petrine feast, St. Paul is commemorated. And then anytime there's a Pauline feast, St. Peter is commemorated. So there's always this, this both and, mm-hmm. um, and that that's, so that's a great idea. That's perhaps, uh, I should, I should write that book cause it would be shorter, shorter than my, my normal projects. That's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think it'd be good. good. Yeah. So that, uh, that does kind of, it's like when we t- talk about the question of, I guess even just our show topic, like how to evangelize an anti-Christian nation. This could be a book because of how extensive this subject could be. <clears throat> but I'm going to try to boil this down. I think before we ask ourselves the question of how do I or how do we as a church evangelize an anti-Christian nation, I think we first have to look at the landscape, if you will, almost like the battlefield, the terrain that we're going into to assess, okay, what do we need to do or how do we need to prepare in order to evangelize or to take on the forces of darkness in this world? So I'm going to start a little bit there because I think that one area that I've found is that a large problem that we have, at least in the United States, and it's not the only problem to be sure, is that the right, if you will, is asleep for the most part. We live in a society where the left is at war and they know that they're at war, but the right still thinks that they're in a conversation. And the problem with that (laughs) is that nothing gets done. They just think, oh, just I'll vote someone into power and that's it. You know, everything will be solved. And that's just not it's clearly not worked. Right. We've had that mentality for quite a while now. So I think we first have to realize, take a step back and understand, like the America of our fathers, the America of at least common Christian morality, right? 
America's never been a Catholic nation. America's never even necessarily been like very pro-Catholic in like one portion. I mean, probably the closest we could get is like the 1950s, right? We really start to get a, a, a legit Catholic culture arising, but we've never had it, you know, like the past where France had a truly historic Catholic society or England had a truly historic Catholic society. But we've always had this certain baseline Christian, if you will, um, culture, um, phenomenon, if you will, that has influenced the psyche of the American. And because of that, the Catholic has always been able to evangelize and have very many tools at his disposal that are very easy. If you go into a, for instance, if we go into the deep South here in the United States, we can still, right, preach evangel evangelistically using older methods, older methods meaning, you know, bringing to the mind, if you will, of the average Protestant truths of scripture, right, that can lead them into the Catholic faith, right, using the Bible. Aquinas talks about in the very beginning of his Summa, he says, like, whomever you're evangelizing to, right, bring the necessary tools for the evangelization. He gives the idea of, like, if you're going to evangelize to those of the Hebrew faith, right, bring the Old Testament. If you're going to evangelize to heretics, right, bring the New Testament. If you're going to evangelize to the non-believing, yeah, use reason, etc. So we have to recognize where we're at. But as an overall society, aside from certain areas in the Deep South and certain areas in the Midwest, most of American culture at this point is so heavily influenced by secularism that we can't even use most of the time biblical narrative uh, as our primary usage, if you will, at least in the initial process of trying to convert somebody. And the evidence that I'd point to this, I think I mentioned last week, is that, for instance, in Western countries, it's been studied that, you know, as an example, 20% or more of millennials don't even know who the baby in the manger scene is, right? It's so far removed. Or even if they do know, oh, there's this person called Christ, it's usually a hippy-dippy, watered-down, Christ-worn address, long flowing hair, surfer Jesus, right? It's the false Christ of the 60s, if you will, that has permeated the psyche of a lot of people. So we have to first understand our culture is anti-Christian because of the laws that it's clearly trying to enact. We see this when it comes to um, not just the governmental structures, right? Imposing unjust laws that are not laws at all. <clears throat> when it comes to, for instance, uh, abortion, homosexuality, contraception, etc. But we also see the cultural elements, the cultural icons or the cultural hubs, if you will, promoting these immorality. So we see as an example, Hollywood and entertainment, right? Promoting these types of immoralities. We see also um, entertainment in the context of sports now promoting these immoralities. Shoot, we even see, <laughs> we even see, uh, you know, in June, right? All of the businesses cater toward one specific group. And we as a society, even if we think about it, we can tell who the God of our society is based off of whom we cater to. So as an example, in the medieval ages, we as, or not we, but Catholic nations in Europe who were monarchical, who were um, interested in upholding and uh, preserving and promoting the rights of Holy Mother Church and the teaching thereof, what she would do, those nations, is that they would, every time they were going to enact a new law, they would basically ask themselves, how does this law um, look in the light of Almighty God. You know, we're not going to pass X law 
if this is going to be contrary to the faith, right? That's how the medieval time structured uh, worked. But we do the same thing in our society, but we basically say, well, how will the rainbow people think of this law, right? It doesn't, doesn't matter what we pass or what cultural icon we try to move. We always ask that question, which we can tell now who the God of American society has become. So we could give plenty more examples, but you see this in entertainment, you see this in law, you see this in media, you see it at the local grocery store, right? Even all of the controversy right now that's going around with Bud Light is a good example, right? That you see even just businesses trying to promote those things which are fundamentally anti-Christian in nature, anti-charity in nature. So how do we evangelize those people and how do we take ground, if you will, against the devil in this war? How we do this, I think, is first we have to be serious. We have to recognize, one, that we're in a war, right? And because we have to recognize we're in a war, we have to recognize that we can't be passive. It's so easy to be passive. How many times has the popes quoted and said, like, you know, one of the worst things, if you will, is lukewarm Catholics, right? Passive Catholics who don't do anything, right? It's not good enough to just go to Sunday Mass, right, and be like, you know, I know I don't agree with these things, but you know, kind of live and let live, kind of a laissez-faire, if you will, mentality about things. It's not going to, it's not going to be uh, charitable to your neighbor, and it's not going to be helping you even in your own soul. So what we have to do is first and foremost recognize we're in a mission, we're in a war, we're in a war for the salvation of our neighbors, right? We're in this war for the salvation of our nation. <clears throat> first step that we have to do is we have to focus in on what am I going to do personally, Right? you as your individual self. There's a famous quote by St. Francis of Assisi where he says, and I know controversial, me a Dominican quoting St. Francis, uh, <laughs> saying, sanctify yourself and you'll sanctify society. It's so true. We also see, uh, there's a great book out there called The Soul of the Apostolate, right? Which is a, a book about uh, the interior life of man. But the, the entire focus of it is that if you want to, especially if someone was a parish priest, because that's mainly who, whom the book is written to, but it can apply to you. If you're wanting to save souls, you have to be holy, right? God will give you the graces that are necessary for your salvation, right, is what our church teaches. And the more you cooperate and the more that grace sanctifies, heals your nature, and then key phrase, conforms you to the image of Christ. What does that mean? It means makes you like Christ, right? Makes you like Christ in virtue. Once you're made unto Christ in virtue, then you'll be able to have that charity of Christ to go out and that power of Christ to go out and witness to other people. So first you need to ask questions like, what is my predominant fault? Am I praying? Do I have a healthy prayer life? Am I studying my catechism, you know, at least weekly, if not daily, right? Am I doing spiritual reading, right? Am I fulfilling the other normal obligations of my normal life, right? Am I working hard at my job, right? Or am I taking care of my family, right? Am I loving my brothers or sisters, right? Not just in faith, but even physical brothers and sisters. Am I honoring my father and my mother? Am I going to mass? Do I have a frequent confession life? These types of questions I think we first need to ask ourselves. And then second stage, permeating out from that, we can ask and transpose those um, qualifications to the larger setting. So we can ask the question of, for instance, fathers, okay, am I leading my house well? Am I, for instance, leading my family in the nightly rosary? Am I promoting different devotions throughout the month? Am I making sure that all my children are going to be protected from the wickedness that's going on outside? A good example of this would be 
not allowing immorality that comes from television right into the houses not that television the box right the physical machine is bad but are you controlling what comes to the house right it might be prudent not to have the box at all right and that's kind of more up to your conscience right but it's something that we have to realize if the popes were already concerned about it in the 1930s and 40s right what would they say today right so are we protecting children from the things that are coming on because when we look at all the corporations and all the, the, the supposed child-friendly entertainment, they're all trying to push the immorality that's going on. So we first have to ask questions like, okay, am I, protect, am I doing stuff myself? Am I protecting my family? Am I making sure they're getting to mass? Am I leading them in catechism, et cetera? But then even for people who are not married, right, single people like myself, am I going to, in my friend groups, go out and encourage holy behavior Am I going to go out and at least try to give rightly ordered good advice to people, right? So a good example is my generation is one of the laziest and most entitled generations of all time. Am I going to go out and help my fellow man and be like, look, man, you have some good desires, but uh, there's this thing called a job that you need, right? Go out, <laughs> go out and get a job, right? You can't be a priest if you don't even want to work now, right? You have to do, you have to do something with your life, right? Or when it comes to, for instance, uh, you know, just speaking on, on men's issues, not just things about, you know, are you making sure and maintaining your, your angelic purity that you should be striving for, but also things along the nature of, you know, fighting against sloth, fighting against pride, fighting against vanity. You know, when you go and work out, are you just looking at yourself the entire time and building up vanity? Or are you rather, you know, just actually exercising because, right, you need to exercise? So we can do these things. And then the third stage, is when families, parishes, right, of holy people all come together. And it usually, especially nowadays, I think it needs to be catalyst by one individual, right, who's kind of on top of the game, whether it be the parish priest or some gentleman that's in the parish. We need to organize and start to uh, co-op with each other. So, for instance, promoting Catholic businesses. A lot of Catholic churches are actually fairly good at this, right, promoting local Catholic businesses and being like, contribute to that local Catholic business as opposed to say, going to Amazon, right? Going to all of these larger corporations, go and support your, your local Catholics. And it's important to do this because one of the things that I've recognized that a lot of Americans, especially my age who are conservative want, is we wanna go back to the mom and pop stores of America. We wanna just have a bunch of businesses that are owned by, you know, the local Jeffersons, if you will, as opposed to, right? A, a maskless man who makes a, a zillion dollars a year and no one knows and all these ugly box stores. And the reason why that I say this is because one of the fundamental elements of our faith, right, is one of is the transcendental truths of uh, truth, beauty and goodness. And when we look around at America, we lack truth, goodness and beauty, right? Especially in our architecture, right? In our academia, of course, but in our architecture. So going and promoting good Catholic businesses, encouraging people who are going to start businesses. Hey, have you thought about, you know, making your building beautiful, right? Don't just make it a box, right? If you can, make it beautiful, right? Add some statues, right? Be creative. Do something to that effect, right? So organize there. But then when you also see actions of wickedness taking place, for instance, as I was talking about earlier in our local scene, 
organize. It's very important to organize. One of the most charitable things that we can do <clears throat> is what St. Paul charged St. Timothy to do in 2 Timothy chapter 4, where he says, I charge you, therefore, by the mercies of God and by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, right, to preach the truth, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine, right? It's one of the most important things we can do. Even, right, Ephesians chapter 5, St. Paul talks about how it's very important to go out and shine the light, if you will, on those who are dead, right? Shine the light in the darkness. Christ himself, right? Matthew chapter 10 talks about how what you've heard in secret from me, go and preach upon the housetops. Do not be afraid of what man can do unto you, right? But rather be afraid of him who can toss both body and soul into hell, right? It's very important for us to go out and to publicly witness to our faith. So when you hear about these events, right, whether they be events of the drag shows or the pride parades or an abortion mill trying to be started in a town, Go out and protest against these. Catholics are very good at doing pro-life work, but I don't think that we're as organized on those latter subjects, right, of protecting those children posed. Let so me let we'll, me just comment. I'll just comment yeah. real quick here, Kavazos, yeah. um, because yeah. I, I love what you said uh, about the 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 situation of in, in the United States of a cold civil war. Is uh -huh. the, that's the phrase that Bannister has used, which I think is absolutely correct mm -hmm. um that we are in a war and it's a civil war and there really can be no compromise i mean tucker carlson just got uh canned he got sacked uh -huh. from fox news because he broke too many of the taboos of the right and the left mm -hmm. and uh th there just really cannot be any compromise there can't be any conversation and dialogue with uh marxism no, uh, there can only be all out war. Um, and when you think of the history of these United States in the 20th century, as you just said, the 1950s are mm. sort of this high water mark. But that high water mark came because in particular in the 1920s, Hollywood began producing pornography mm -hmm. during the jazz era. And this shocked the consciences of the Protestant majority of the these these states but they couldn't organize because they were so divided so there was a there was a moral issue but then the catholics when the catholics got involved they spearheaded it and they, they were able to lead a, a a sort of true ecumenism which is called the legion of decency and this there was counterparts in other places like germany they they organized a na nationwide boycott of these hollywood films allow to the point that they were able to throttle Hollywood, bring Hollywood to its knees, <clears throat> and Hollywood could not lift a finger unless the Catholic Church said so. Mm -hmm. And all the other Christians, including a few Jews too, got on board with the Catholic Catholic-led initiative. Mm -hmm. And this was reaching this high mark in the 1950s, and that's why Fulton Sheen was. Uh, primetime television and Hollywood was now producing movies like uh, Our Lady of Fatima mm -hmm. know, produced by Warner Brothers. Can you imagine? Yeah. <laughs> but because because there was in the 1960s, there was a massive initiative among the clergy to lay down our weapons and dialogue with the Antichrist, mm -hmm. give the medicine of mercy to the Antichrist. Then the Antichrist counterattacked and since then in these states there's been among the catholics at least 
uh, an effort to dialogue with the Antichrist. And uh, that's been going nowhere because the Antichrist has just been destroying us. Mm -hmm. Um, But if, if we think about the history of Christian militancy in these states led by the Catholics, it's it is a it is quite a glorious history in the 20th century, considering the fact that Catholics especially um, has have really been um, ostracized by the majority mm-hmm. Protestant wasp elites in this country. Um, Catholics were unapologetically leading this charge um, and we can lead it again. Mm-hmm. And like what you just did, like you just said, I mean, how many of those people who came out and congratulated you in your in your reparation procession, were they even Catholic? Who knows? But they they understood what you were doing. They saw the banners of Jesus. They saw the cross. They were like, that, that's, that warms my heart. (laughs) Not like this other stuff that makes me want to throw up. So yeah, this is fantastic. But I mean, that, that main thing about war is is critical to see. I think we can't, we, we're not going to dialogue with pornography. There's, yeah. no, there's no dialogue there. Uh, these people are puppets of Satan. They need to be liberated. We're going to treat them with kindness, but these people are just puppets of Satan. Mm-hmm. We need to, just like the saints of old, they went to the altars of the demons. They went to the altars, literally the altars, and they destroyed them violently mm-hmm. because the people were afraid of the demons. And they thought if you touch that thing, you'd get struck by lightning. Mm-hmm. So the saints would come and destroy that to show everybody that the demons have no power. And I think that in a similar way, in, in an analogous way, by processing fearlessly in the face of raging mobs, you're saying that the demons have no power. Mm-hmm. We don't need to be afraid of the rainbow police and all mm-hmm. their the, the puppets of Satan and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, fully agree. Uh, just, the saints of old called a spade a spade, right? They, they made no ifs and or buts about what they were doing. And I think that that's important. I'm glad you mentioned um, the league, that league, because that actually came into my next point, which is kind of a question. Um, here's a question for you. What is, in your opinion, um, if you had to say, like, what are the mountains of culture, right? what would you say those are? Cause it's like, I think we'd all agree, you know, entertainment's one, you know, a bubble or a source of culture, right? Education, right. Would be another source of culture to an effect. Um, we could say, um, you know, sports. That's another good one. What, what would be some other ones? Can you think of any? So what, what do you mean by mountains of culture? Just influential things that produce, Produce culture, desirable yeah. goods for the society. Yeah, and that would be true, like in any society, right? Uh, I would place the the ep- the epicenter of the culture is in the cultus, mm-hmm. and so it would be in the capital city of the nation, the cathedral, and mm-hmm. I I think it's <clears throat> the cathedral, the beauty of that cathedral, and all the people who come into that cathedral and non Catholics who want to go into that cathedral to see the beauty of it right there, mm-hmm. uh, right there. That would indicate that the cult, there is a, a certain proper ordering there. Mm-hmm. Um, but when the cathedral and the churches are ugly, then you have the opposite effect. Yeah. So that, that to me, that would be the mountain of culture because that is the high culture that people are willing to pay hundreds of dollars to see a 
hear a symphony, hear a hear the highest form of beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the mass culture, which is based on emotional addictions and things of that of that mm-hmm. nature. Um, so along the lines that you just said yeah like uh like that yeah exactly those are good distinctions because what my thought is this is that when we look at either one we see the heavy heavy influence of the world in some form or fashion right even in the first one right in the cathedral we do see to a degree the influences of the world have crept into the churches right uh we see this very very clearly with non-catholic churches right we see this i mean all the time right with all of these different various protestant sects who now have the rainbow flag in front of their building but even in certain catholic areas right we see this attempt trying to be ushered in of rainbow masses of putting the rainbow flag in front of these churches right i'm not saying that these are licitly done by church law or with the blessings of bishops or anything but we see these attempts that are trying to be made right whether it's uh, local lay people or local priests who are trying to engage in this And then when it comes to mass culture, we already know mass culture is very anti-Christian. But the reason that I bring all this up is that strategizing how to enter into those places of culture and change those things, I think, are important. So entertainment is somewhat easy because we can see, okay, first off, I don't have to turn TV on. I don't have to turn Netflix on. I don't have to turn Hulu on. I can just turn these things off, number one. But then number two, I can organize as, as an example that Holy League would do and protest against the wickedness that goes on. So we, for instance, we hear, we see um, organizations like the TFP and uh, America Needs Fatima, right? They're always promoting actions, whether it be petitions or marches or rosary rallies against blasphemous films, against blasphemous activities that are going on, right? And participating and organizing even on a local level is important. Going back to even what you mentioned uh, that your family does during Rogation Tide, it reminds me. In our town, what we do is that every time uh, that there's some type of evil organization that's trying to do something, whether it's a drag show or something, I've had a friend of mine who's taken miraculous medals, and he's gone and planted them into the four corners of the buildings that have taken place. And without fail, every single one of the buildings has shut down completely. Like, actually, oh, right. Down. <laughs> And so, you know, Our Lady tramples on the foot of the devil. And so that is just what's going on. But I think recognizing that we need to go into, right, make our new, make our culture, but then go and influence these areas of culture and be very specific in targeting them, I think is important. Last thing I'll say, and then I just want to kind of open it up for discussion, is that as we're building this thing, we need to be very wary on two fronts. When it comes to forming ourselves and when it comes to forming organizations, when it comes to forming culture, we have to do two things in my mind. The first thing is we have to believe in and take into our intellect the glories of the true faith, right? So we need to read, as an example, good catechisms, right, and thoroughly understand them. So as an example, right, I have been doing this for a couple of years now. I teach catechism to sixth and seventh graders. I've been having them memorize the Baltimore Catechism, not just memorize the question and answers, but also be able to explain it back in their own words, what I'm talking about. And it's very, very fun whenever I get to just go back in, you know, a week later after class and say, okay, kids, what's original sin? And these kids 
who go to a secular public school, right, whose parents probably don't even know what the church says on the subject of public school, right, um, are now just repeating to me verbatim, you know, something from the Baltimore Catechism and being, being able to explain how original sin affects all the faculties of man. That's just something that's beautiful, right, whenever an 11-year-old is being able to do this. So that's the first thing. I think all of us recognizing we could all use a better catechism. <laughs> we could all use a better catechesis ourselves and being able to do that. And recognizing how precious that is, it's not just abstract truths of faith, but it is the divinely revealed religion of God and being able to soak in that and to understand that. I mean, how many of us here online, especially who commentate, how many of us are good at all the ins and outs of the liturgical wars, all the ins and outs of various controversies. But yet if someone was really to come up and quiz us on our catechism and really put us up against the wall and be like, all right, I'm going to test you right now. How many of you guys would do that? It's like, name the 10 commandments for me now. You know, it's like, could you do it? Uh, a lot of people struggle with that. You know, you can, it's like the meme, you know, you can name all three secrets of Fatima, but you can't name the 10 commandments. You know, something's, something's in trouble, right? And so being able to do that and to really understand that and then pass it along is very important. And then with that, man is not just an abstract being who can know universal truths and know truth, but he's also being who has a will, right? Who needs to be inflamed with divine love in his will. And so being able to teach yourself, the children that are under you, recommend things to friends, these actions of virtues, do you know the virtues first and foremost? And are you able to go out and practice those virtues? Are you able to go out and explain and then live those virtues out are something that I think is going to be very key in transferring a holy lifestyle to people. We see so many people who are nostalgic, especially young people, for some type of past you know, generation or decade. But what they're craving for deep down is just that they're wanting innocency to a degree. They're wanting to return to a more simplistic innocent lifestyle, more simplistic, innocent time. But they don't, a lot of people in the secular world don't understand that how this is brought in is through the love of brother that that flows from divine charity, that comes from the natural virtues that have been graced by God <clears throat> to a salvific end. And so being able to understand and go out and practice those things and to know your faith, I think are going to be the two main things that are going to like be that center core that build out. You know, if you can do those two things, you'll become sanctified. Your family will become sanctified. You'll be able to organize and sanctify society. And so I think if to finish, if we were all to do this, right, if we were all to be like, okay, you know, it's going to start off small. I'm just one person in this one town, right? I'm going to go to the parish and volunteer in catechism. I'm going to organize my friends into rosary possessions. I'm going to do these actions of public reparation. I'm going to, you know, uh, strive to be a better father, right? And pray the rosary every night with my children and make sure that they're being well catechized. You know, I'm going to turn the, the TV off whenever I see these wicked influences that are trying to come in. I'm going to call a spade a spade, right? <laughs> and, and toss that down that potential altar that's in my house, right? That's called the television box. Get rid of it and <laughs> put up an image of Our Lady, put up an image of Our Lord. It'll be way better for you. And so those are some of my general thoughts on how we can evangelize an anti-Christian society is first recognize we're in a war and it's not a conversation and to not do deals with the devil. But then two, our war is not against flesh and blood, as St. Paul says, right? It's against those satanic powers. And so therefore to fight the satanic powers, we need to be holy. We need to be sanctified. 
right? And when we sanctify ourselves, we'll be able to sanctify society around us, whether that be our immediate vicinity, ourselves, our friends, our family, and then society is large. And so those are my general thoughts on how we do that. Of course, we could get into a lot of specifics and a lot of practicals, but those are my general thoughts on the matter. I really love what uh, this action plan that you have, which is very galvanizing for taking care of your own soul, then your family, then your parish. And that's your sphere of influence to influence your local community. And that's all you need to worry about for most of us who are not in political office or whatever, because we spend a lot of time on the internet or just worrying about what goes on in Rome, what goes on in the worldwide church, what goes on here and all these things we have no power to really influence beyond our prayers. And Mm -hmm. so worrying about these different things and being anxious about what's going to happen and talking about it is useless at best to a degree, (laughs) uh, even though it's, it's, it's important in, in some ways, but, we should really be talking and thinking and worrying and worrying in a good way, I guess, and and praying about those local areas, those things Mm -hmm. that we can actually do. So Mm -hmm. I really like what you're saying. Um, One thing that I would, um, that I do, that's, that's great is um, to join the MI, the Militia Immaculata, which is Mm -hmm. the organization founded by St. Maximilian Colby, in 1917, in response to the Freemasonic, I'm sorry, the, the term, the Masonic procession that was in Rome at the time saying that Satan must rule in the Vatican and the Pope will be his slave. That was the thing that made him realize that he needed to go on the offensive. So this mm-hmm. sort of thing happening in 1917. And his, his version is... Um, the Militia Immaculata is a Marian spirit. It's sort of not its own organization, if you will, because it's essentially a, a it's it's attempting to take a Marian militant spirit and inject that into every single organization that exists. Mm-hmm. And one of the things, one of his methods is the miraculous medal, because he was inspired by the conversion of the French Jew, Alphonse Radisbon in the 19th century who wore a miraculous medal and prayed a memorare in a Roman church and had a vision of the Virgin Mary and was instantly converted. And um, so I always keep miraculous medals on my person at all time. And I give them out to people that I interact with, whether that's gas station clerk guy, who's coming over to work on my internet service, whatever, something like that, giving them the miraculous medal. Um, and trusting in Mary to open their hearts because there's such a wall with most people today, um, a wall in their hearts that cannot be broken down by just let's have an argument about it. Uh, that that's most of the time that's not effective or many times and trusting in Mary to open their hearts, um, is very effective. Uh, I wanted to mention a, a stellar organization that you can start in your, in your local parish and diocese, and that is uh, St. Paul Street Evangelization. This is an organization. We have it in our diocese. Um, and this is, uh, what's the website here? Oh, my URL is going away. So St. Paul, just look up St. Paul Street Evangelization. 
And this is a solid Catholic organization, which is has operates under the method of what you do is you like in our in our city we have an arts festival every year, for example, uh, where people a lot of people are walking around downtown looking at artwork. So what you do is you set up a sign that invites people to have a conversation about faith and you pass out rosaries mm-hmm. and you pass out miraculous medals and everybody takes the miraculous medals. You know, everybody takes these rosaries. They want those. They're like, wow, ooh, free, free stuff. That's interesting. I mean, especially the miraculous medals are actually, because when you, when you buy the, the mass produced plastic rosaries are not as flashy as the miraculous metal the miraculous metal is actually like, ooh, what's, this is very interesting. Mm-hmm. So everybody takes them. You just pass them out to strangers. And, uh, the sign essentially invites people to have a conversation without being confrontational to an excess of degree. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's inviting people and, and it, it, they produce a ton of literature as well. A, pun, a bunch of little tracks that are actually good that produce the basic apologetics of the faith. Um, and this is this is a fantastic organization that I, I think every diocese needs to have this in their public square and and always doing this uh, at, at all the public events of, of one city. Uh, another important aspect of evangelization is uh, forming the relationships with the community um, mm-hmm. in confronting them in their corporal needs. So not only are you so that your community should should know your parish because you're the parish that always protests the the June nonsense. You're the parish that's always in the public square at that event evangelizing. But also you're the parish who is always coming uh, door to door if necessary to help the poor. Mm -hmm. And this is this is done uh, at our parish. We use the model of um, the St. Vincent de Paul Society. Now, that is an actual organization, but that organization also promotes various liberal policies of government. So we don't agree with that. But the the method of St. Vincent de Paul is a good one because it was it was pioneered by Blessed Ozaman in France in the 19th century. And this, this is how it works. You have a parish group at your parish and their job is to respond to the needs of the poor in your community. And so how does that work? Well, Poor people are always coming to churches because they know that they'll get help there or they should know. They should know that your parish will help them. So they will call your parish and say, I need help. What your group does is your group connects with this individual and it offers the most important and valuable thing that the poor need. And that's friendship. So what you do is you go out to you go out two by two and you go meet this poor person. You meet this poor family, whatever they are, wherever they're at. You go to them, you meet them in their house, and you get to know them. You get to know what their needs are. And if you live in a major city, there are tons of different Christian organizations providing all the different logistical things that every poor person needs. Mm-hmm. This person needs a driver's license. This person needs uh, a GED. This person needs uh, whatever. And your job then is you, you, you take their needs, you find out what they need, but you offer them friendship. You get to know them. You, you know their name. You know the names of their children. And so you're, you're lending them not only the, a helping hand to get X, Y, Z that they need. You're, this is a long-term relationship. 
You're saying, I want to help you with whatever you need. This is the true Christian corporal works of mercy that we're talking about. It's not merely feeding the hungry, but it's befriending the hungry mm-hmm. so that we can actually help them long term. Because that's this is what people need. This is what poor people need in the United States long term. Um, they need friendship. They don't they don't just need a handout, as they say. Um, they need the handout because they got to eat. They got to clothe their children and all that. But they need friendship. So. This is the type of thing that really um, silences the mouth of all of our critics because all the Marxists want to come along and say, well, we don't care about poor people we, or, or uh-huh. we care about uh, the baby in the womb, but not the mother after it, all this nonsense. Uh, all of that is ridiculous. And, um, but that's something that also evangelizes too because these people want to join a community that's reaching out to help them. Uh-huh. And so that's another uh, great aspect of evangelizing. So... Uh, we got five more minutes left. Cavazos, what are your final thoughts on this topic? Yeah, you just even just saying there that like the Marxists will critique us in those areas. My question is, is like, well, what end do you have to help them? It's like you say, oh, well, communism will help the poor. To what end? So they just die one day and that's it. You know, like there's no if there's no supernatural ending to it, then essentially you can critique us all day long you want, but it really doesn't matter. Right. If there's no God if there is no final end with that God, then there's really no purpose for you even critiquing what we're doing. I mean, you might be upset that we're hypocritical, but then why be upset at hypocrisy? It's just like, to what end, you know? <laughs> uh, why be upset, you know? <laughs> you know, it doesn't really matter. Uh, and so th- that goes to show you how messed up that mentality is. But yeah, no, I would, I would agree. I think that what we can even use just as a good tool of saying, you know, practically speaking, what can I do to affect and to evangelize it? an anti-Christian nation is to go and remember and to look up and people should know this right from their catechisms, but the, the, the corporal and the spiritual works of mercy, right? Look at those things and say, okay, you know, Lord, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to mainly be involved in, you know, the active uh, life of feeding the poor, visiting those who are sick, right? Bearing the dead, etc. Do you want me to be, you know, teaching the ignorant, right? Instructing sinners, right? rebuking the wickedness. What do you want me to do? I'm going to good priests as well, who are very knowledgeable of the situation of their local town, right? I think is going to also be something that could be helpful is asking, Father, how can I help in X, Y, or Z way? Because he's going to hopefully know right very well. Now, of course, maybe if it's a very, very wicked parish or something like that, where the parish is wanting to host a, a rainbow event, probably time to look for a new parish. Um, right. Uh, I wouldn't, I, I, I know that some people try to make the argument of, you know, stick around, change society. I'm like, well, there has to be a logical limit, I guess, to that, because I think when you get to a certain point where you realize that the church, you know, it, it might, it might be called St. Agnes's, but it's starting to look like Sodom and Gomorrah. You're just like, maybe it's time to hit the road, Jack and leave, you know, before it gets too bad. And so asking, yeah, good priests, holy people, what they can do, I think is very important. And the final thing I'll say is that, remember, don't give up hope, right? It's very easy in the face of so much drama and chaos in both the church and in the secular world to lose hope, to say, you know, to keep your eyes so fixed on the storm that you start to drown, right? Most people don't know this about me, but my patron site, right, is St. Peter. It's actually not St. Thomas, believe it or not. It's St. Peter. And the reason I chose St. Peter was for a very specific reason. I, I chose him for two reasons. One, because being a former Protestant, I wanted to be show my unity with the Pope in Rome. 
But two, I also recognize that we all, including myself, have a tendency to try to, you see, Peter, he tries to do so much in his own power and he fails miserably all the time. And there's so many examples we could give, but just even him trying to stand on water by himself, right? Looking out at the storm and what does he say? Lord, save me, right? He was yelling that, right? Lord, save me for else I perish. And that's how we feel. But in the great words of St. Jean Vianney, he says, you are forbidden to worry, but commanded to pray. And so don't lose hope. Remember, hope is given to you at your baptism. It's infused into your will. Practice that virtue of hope and recognize that the victor is already won, right? This war between the God and Satan, it's already won at the end of the day. But just because it's already won one day does not mean that the devil is going to try to win as many small victories, if you will as he can. So don't lose hope and get involved, right? Go out and be a saint and use the methods that we've been recommending this morning. So those are my final thoughts. Excellent. Fantastic. Well, let, let's do this. Let's do this. We're, we're, uh, it's, uh, Monday, the fourth Monday after Easter. So let's get going and evangelize and take back our souls to take back our families, take back our parishes and local community for Christ the King, with Our Lady's help. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Victory. Pray for us. Mary, Queen of the Home. Pray for us. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. Pray for us. St. Anthony of the Desert, pray for all clergy and seminarians. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christ is risen. Amen.